You're on with Barbara. Hey, 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 it's me, Barbara Corcoran, and this is 888-BARBARA. That's right, it's time to answer all your burning questions. From the boardroom to the bedroom, nothing is off limits. So listen up for some advice on how to live your best life. Each week, I'll be answering all your burning questions, and sometimes I'll be asking them too, interviewing some of the greatest folks I know to learn the secrets of their success so I can share them with you. Today, I'm excited to have my good friend and fellow shark, billionaire Mark Cuban. I gotta say that. I love the word billionaire. Not as much as I do. <laughs> oh, that's mean. I hate you already. But he's here with me at 88 Barber. And if you're alive, you know Mark. If you just started breathing, you know Mark. And so he doesn't need an introduction, as they say. But today we're talking not just to Mark Cuban, the guy we all know. We're talking to Mark Cuban, the man behind the money. That's who we want to get to know <laughs> right. today. And how Mark spends his fortune, what he's like as a dad and a husband, although I've had a peek at that myself. And of course, we'll end by getting out of him who his favorite shark is. And I better be the right answer. Of course. Okay. I've already told Kevin. <laughs> oh, not Kevin. No way. Okay. So you started your first business, Microsolutions, after getting fired from a sales job right. at the computer store. And I know the story there, if you want to uh -huh. care to repeat it, I think it's famous now. But why didn't you just go out and look for another job? Certainly you're capable of getting a good interview when yeah. you get another job. I just gotten fired too many times, left too many jobs and realized I was a lousy employee. Recognizing that, knowing I wanted to start a business of my own at some point, you know, I had nothing to lose. I just lost my job. I was living six guys in a three bedroom apartment, sleeping on the floor. My car was a piece of junk that literally, I've never told you the story how I got my car. I had one car that was falling apart and we were driving down the road and you, there was a car that you could tell had been abandoned. It was a Trans Am. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I forget exactly how it led to it, but we stopped, opened the door and I was like, this car is abandoned. And so I found some paperwork, an envelope that was like a note from the bank, you're overdue and all that kind of stuff. So I called the bank and said, look, I can't get credit. I've, all my credit cards have been cut up and everything. But I found this car that, no somebody, way. that somebody abandoned. You're making this shit no, up. No, would you let me take over the payments? You're kidding. And they let me take over the payments. Just like that. Just like that, because otherwise they would have lost the money on it. Oh my God. I yeah. don't think anybody would even think to do that. Right? Yeah. Well, when you're struggling and you're broke and you don't have a car that's going to last more than another 10 miles, one of those beaters that you had to have oil in it. The car I drove to Dallas in had a hole in the floorboard. So literally I'd see like the white lines going underneath <laughs> my feet and I had to stop for oil, you know, every 60 miles. It was awful. Not good for dating. Here's what I find fault in your story, which I don't quite get. You said you had nothing to lose. So you lose right. your job, you get fired. You've been fired a few times before. I get that. But I would think with the situation where you were living with your roommates, behind in your bills, needing a car, I would think it would be quite the contrary. I would think the first thing I would think of is let me get a decent job where I get some bucks under my belt until I could regroup and then maybe go out and well, start here's my why own I business. Because yeah. here's what led to my firing. I had just closed a deal that was going to lead to a $1,500 commission. I was supposed to come in and open up the store. And I said, I'm making that executive decision to go out there and collect the check, thinking my boss is going to love me when I bring back the check. You forgot you were an executive at yeah, that Yeah, exactly. Point. Yeah. Right. And so he fired me. But I knew I can sell. And I 
develop relationships with some people. So I went to a company called Architectural Lighting and they wanted this time and billing software. And I said, look, I got no money, but if you front me the $500, which is what I would sell it to you for, and the software cost me $250 to buy, I'll make it work. And if it doesn't work, then I'll find some way to get your money back. I'll wash your car, sweep the floor, whatever. And they said, yes. And so that kind of led to me going that direction. So I'm picturing this as a guy that walks into the store that you met in the store and the guy looked at you, smart, savvy guy, and probably figured, this kid's on the ball. This kid's, is that who you approach? You met him at the store and found yeah. that as your first customers. Yeah. Well, that was an opportunity most people wouldn't cite. You grabbed it, ran up the flagpole. It turned out okay. Uh, very okay. I would say way, way, way beyond okay. So what's it with you and these prizes you like to buy yourself? <laughs> I, I, okay, I think it's a little strange, right? But obviously you're rich enough to talk uh, about it and strange. justify it. Yeah. Okay. But you had, uh, for your the very first business that you sold, Micro Solutions, you went out and you bought yourself and you only sold it, I should say only, I guess it's all relative. You yeah. sold it, I should say, for $6 million. Yeah. The first thing you do is you run right out and you buy a $250,000 ticket so you could fly around the world first class. Okay. It wasn't a ticket. It was a lifetime pass. Oh, so anywhere you walk up to the airline and make of my a seat. Yeah. For the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. So we went out and got just torched, me and my friends. We went to one of these old school steakhouses. You know how they had the phones, you know, where you just plug them in. On, yes. Yeah. I mean, I could barely talk and, and they're like, what are you going to get? I'm like, I'm not into cars. I already have a place to live. And I'd fly a lot and I flew so much. I remember the American Airlines number. It was 1-800-433-6464. Right? My God. So I'm like, ah, oh, I call them, pick it up. And they're like, I'm stumbling. You guys sell lifetime passes. What? You mean you never heard of a lifetime pass? You just thought, I want to set myself up for life. Yeah. Yeah. And I called them and they were like, yeah, let us put you to the air pass department. And so I bought one and it was me and anybody I wanted to take to go anywhere in the world on an American Airlines flight for the rest of my life. For two people? Yes. Do you mind if I ask you where that pass is now? Are you using um, it? Jason has it. Do you think he would take me with him wherever he's going? Does wherever it go anywhere good? Wherever you want All to right. go, Barb. Now we're cooking. Well, you know what? I think I'll hold out. I think what I'm going to hold out is for what you did with your money when you went on to sell your new business or your second business. And what did you buy with that? You didn't just settle for a lifetime Pass. Was that my fourth business? But yeah, about the Mavericks. No, no, before oh, but, the Mavericks. Oh, minute, the plane? The plane. Oh, the no, no, plane. not the plane, the jet. Yeah, the jet. Yeah, online. One of the things my dad taught me, the one, most valuable asset you don't own is your time, right? My motivation in a lot of respects was to just retire. So my first company, I always wanted to retire by the time I was 35. I did it when I was 29. And then when I started back up again and really went back at it with Todd in, at broadcast.com, then we sold that and it was like, okay. I can afford a plane. What's wow. cooler than that? I decided, you know, you know, I'm an internet guy, so I got to practice what I preach. And so I bought it online, $40 oh million. Dollars. Was that the first plane that was actually bought online? Yeah, first and only. It's the biggest purchase ever made online ever to this day. And why the plane and why such a big ass plane? It wasn't like you got yourself a little tiny jet. Well, it, there was a very specific reason. Because I could. <laughs> wow. That's power. No, really, though, just because you could, you thought you'd get enough seats to bring anybody you yeah. wanted. Okay, so I'll give you another story. When I was 16, my dad would get me these beater cars, right? Just the nastiest, ugliest $50 cars he could find. Back then, like a, a sporty car would be like a Mazda RX-7. And he found this just old, nasty one. 
but he also found a station wagon. And I wanted the station wagon because I could take all my buddies to go play basketball. That's just that whole thing where- So big you, is better. Yeah, it's not even bigger is better. It's just like, what can I have the most fun with? Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. did have fun because yeah. I met at your birthday party. I met so many of your friends that you grew up with. Yeah. And for me personally, that was by far the most enjoyable part of the party. Not how spectacular it was. Not even that Stevie Wonder was singing to you like, Stevie Wonder <laughs> as the entertainment the tonight. Oh and my Juice God. World. Did yeah. you know who Juice World was? No, I didn't really know. Did you know, know. who Chase but the Chase Kids told me. Oh, yeah. they did. Okay. I learned before I left. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. As though Stevie Wonder wasn't enough. No, it was because, you know, I love Stevie Wonder. I'm friends with the chain smokers and Juice World was like, okay, let's do something a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I met one guy at the party, your childhood friend. Uh, he went to college with you. He said you offered him a share in your first company that you sold. He didn't trust it and you punched him in the face. <laughs> That's not true? Uh, Was that a true story? Yeah, yeah. You told me that story because I heard his version and I totally believed every word. Yeah, we just got into it about what I was doing and he was a traditional TV guy who really didn't believe it. We were just yucking up like, you're you're screwing up, you're screwing up, you're screwing up. And then I don't remember the punch part, but yeah, I remember offering. Well, you know what he told me? He said, you said, and I want you to be part of my business. I'm going to make a million dollars. You said, I'm going to make a million dollars in this computer business. And he laughed in your face. You punched him and put him on the floor. Okay. You know what I said to this guy when it was all through? Because he said he he refused you twice. I said, well, you look like a happy guy. What do you do for a living? He said, I'm an airline steward. He didn't say own an airline. He said, I'm an airline steward. He had a chance to work for me and he was a flight attendant who just had a blast. But he was fun because we would go places all the time. He and I went to the Olympics, like on last minute, it's like, let's go to the Olympics. It's like, okay. Let's go Olympics. Let's go to Moscow. Okay. But he didn't take the ticket that he should have taken. Yeah, he, which you're right. He blew, your it. Business. Yeah, he blew, he blew it. it. But yeah. he wasn't bitter at all. No, no, because he, yeah. he has fun. Yeah. yeah, he's a fun guy. And he said, I love Mark. I love everything yeah. about him. He hasn't changed a bit. And that's the messaging I heard from every single one of your childhood, high school, college friends from that party. To your great credit, I never thought I would meet a billionaire when everybody said he hasn't changed one bit. I was an idiot then and- that's Nothing what they said. They said he's an idiot now. But why a basketball team? I'm a girl, so I don't get it. I would buy Saks Fifth Avenue, Bergdorf Goodman's, and have all the clothes in the world. I've just been a basketball junkie my entire life. I but mean, why a team? Just I think I'll get a team. You woke up one day and said, I think I'll get well, a team. Well, I was a fan, right? I lived in Dallas, and the team was horrible. When it came up for sale, I was a season ticket holder, and everybody's like, oh, you got to buy it. You couldn't do any worse. I was like, okay, sounds fun. Once we sold to Yahoo and I wasn't going to stay around, it was like, okay, it sounds like something fun to do. And, it, you know, it turned out to be not just fun, but worked out really well. And to this day, when we have a home game, I'll go out there at 3 30, 4 o'clock before a game and just shoot buckets, you know, just shoot baskets on the court. Now, that keeps me young. That's me being a kid for the rest of my life. And did you think you were going to do that and hold it for a long time, become a businessman who knows basketball? You thought, hey, this will fill in the blank between now and what No, the next I thought one. I'd hold it for a long time. Yeah, you knew right yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, for it's sure. more, more than a love affair. Yeah. Okay. How about your wife, Tiffany? I uh-huh. met her at the party. I had met her only one time before at the uh, Shark Tank set. A number of years ago. She strikes me in personalities opposite to you. Yeah, we totally complement each other really yeah, well. Yeah, perfect. she's laid back. She's re- really easy chill. Going, really easy going. Really easy calm. Yeah. But yeah, how does confidence. she deal with your notoriety? We kind of just stick to where we go all the time. You know, we stick to our friends and we know if I go someplace like an award show, what's going to happen. If I go someplace different, what's going to happen. But She goes know, with you for those things or opts out She's not. Yeah, she's not big into that stuff. She's really all. big into your kids though. Yeah, oh, big time. Oh, oh, oh big yeah. Time. Yeah, and now that my kids are older, it's a lot more fun to take them everywhere too. Mm-hmm. So I can take Jake, who's 10, or Alyssa will go with me still. She's 13. My 16-year-old doesn't know I exist anymore. The minute she turns 16, I got really stupid. Still, yeah, they're the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. And why'd you wait so long to get married? I know you were a player. You played the field. You had the most gorgeous woman on your arms your whole entire life. Not really, no. Yes, that's true. I've seen photos. 
Yeah, I've met a few of these people. Show me the photos. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because I was so into business. Mm -hmm. You know, I dated some women for an extended period of time and multiple times it came down to me or your business. And Mm -hmm. I gave them the standard answer of what was your name? You know, just like that. Yeah, just like that. Because if you dated me, you knew me and you knew where my motivation, my focus was. And why was Tiffany able to settle in on that and say, that's okay? Because we didn't get married until after I sold all the companies and everything. And so. But she had to believe you're going to jump out and do something else. Well, she knew I'd stay busy and I'd do things. She was the right compliment to me. Let's talk money and I'm not talking about money and I hope you don't mind me asking, but when I sold my business for $66 million to everyone I knew from my birth to that moment in time, everyone thought I was on easy street and I must be in a different universe. And like, I had not a care in the world. Like amazing. What does that feel like? Everybody said, what does it feel like? What does it feel like? And for me, it was so frightening. I just locked up my money for two years and didn't spend a dime. I didn't go out and buy a plane or a ticket or anything. I should have in hindsight. Uh, But what does it feel like not to be a millionaire? Millionaires have problems. They buy too big a house. They have a bad downturn in the market. They still have worries. But what does it feel like to be a billionaire? I don't even know how to, what's that? A million million or a thousand million? Thousand million. A thousand million. What does it just feel like? You wake up in the morning, do you think, I can't believe it, I'm a billionaire. I think that all the time. (laughs) You do really? Yeah. You wake up and you think that? Uh, All the time, not just wake up, but you just look around and just go, how the fuck did this happen? Like you can't believe it? Like write it off to partial luck, partial partial time crushing? Yeah, all the above, right? No one gets to be this rich without a lot of luck. It wasn't my plan that the internet stock market took off when it did. You know, Shaq gave me shit one time about, oh, you're lucky, you're lucky. I'm like, Shaq, did you plan to grow to be seven foot two? You've got to recognize when you're lucky. And I was lucky. You know, they say luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Mm-hmm. And so no question, I busted my ass. And had I not worked as hard, it would not have happened. And you also have to be smart too, because when we sold broadcast, Todd and I, we sold it for stock. And when we sold it, the stock was way up there and it went up even higher. I was like, how much money do I need? I mean, I just don't need any more money. So I did something called a collar where I sold calls and bought puts, which protected me in case there was a downturn. Mm. Because I'd seen this game before where- Kind of like creating your insurance policy to make sure you stayed wealthy. Exactly right. And so I'd seen it before with companies when I traded a lot of stocks. I hedged all of it. And when the internet stocks crashed, I still had all my money and I even made a little bit and that protected me. And they called it one of the top 10 trades in the history of Wall Street. But that wasn't luck. That was planning. No, that was, yeah, that was planning. Absolutely. Yeah, that was planning and not being greedy. It was crazy. I mean, it, it's still inconceivable. Money buys you comfort. Money buys you sanity in some respects. Money takes away a lot of the stress of paying the bills that we've all been through at certain points, but it doesn't make you happy. You remove all that from the plate. Why wouldn't you be happy? What's left to be unhappy about? Well, yeah, I mean, look, I was happy when I was broke, mm. you know, and whenever there's a big lottery jackpot of a billion dollars, people always call me and say, well, what would, if you were miserable when you were broke, money's not going to change that. If you were happy living your life when, you know, you were living paycheck to paycheck and all of a sudden you make it big, you know, if you're smart, you're going to love your life even more. And I think that's what happened to me. I just try not to take it for granted. I try to enjoy it. The biggest benefit of it, other than this lack of stress in terms of paying bills, is I can do things that buy me time. Yeah, like the plane or I can make things happen more quickly by paying a little bit more. And that's important because time's the one asset you can't own, buy or get back. But if there was one thing, you wake up in the morning and you pinch yourself and you say, hey, hey, you know, I can't believe it. I came I'm a billionaire. What's the thought that you associate with that thought right after a billionaire and, and, and what? How am I going to enjoy it? How does it impact my family and how can Ooh. I impact the world? 
Those are three vastly different things. Yeah. One's yeah. protective, one's giving, one's just about yourself. And what yeah. about your family? How do you protect them? How do you protect them from the notoriety? I think it's a bigger issue than anything else. It's not even so much the notoriety because, you know, when people stop and ask for things or whatever, they kind of know just to wait a second and I'll deal with it. And I've just kind of explained to them, I'm just going to be nice. And mm. if I'm nice, it goes by very quickly and everybody's mm -hmm. happy. So um, you can still mind standing by the sideline no. and you're being gracious to the fans. No, they, they're used they're to They're okay it. with that. Yeah. And I, I try to use it as a point. Look, if I can be nice to strangers, you can be nice to anybody, anybody that you deal with. And I had this thing with my daughter not long ago where she made a comment I didn't appreciate to somebody else that I didn't think was right. And I had to go through the whole talk of, look, we're very fortunate, but you have to treat people with respect, period, end of story. You know, my biggest fear for them is that they're going to end up being entitled jerks. Mm. And this is an example of potentially being an entitled jerk. Mm -hmm. Is that how you want to be? And is that how you want to be perceived in high school and college? And, you know, is that who do you want to be? And she got all upset. I got all upset. But that's my biggest fear after their health. But you stopped it right then and there when you saw it. Yeah. You wouldn't tolerate it. No. And how do they deal with being Mark Cuban's daughter, Mark Cuban's son? They must have that in their face all the time. Yeah, and they really don't talk to me about it. And I really, really don't ask them about it a whole lot. And it, they have it in common with each other. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's not like I want to say, hey, I'm famous. What do you think? How's it affecting you? <laughs> yeah, how's it affecting you? And, yeah, yeah. and then it comes up from various points of time. But I think my wife really has dealt with that better in terms of dealing with the kids because yeah. she has to deal with it the same way. Also, I think the mom weighs in so much more on the kids no matter what the dad does. Particularly with my daughters, maybe not as much with my son. I have to deal with the tough subjects, mm -hmm. you know, talking to my daughter about drinking and boys. And my mm -hmm. wife's like, you deal with that. And I think my wife deals with the school and the day-to-day -day stuff. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a good partnership. Yeah, it is. At a bare minimum, right? So you invest in a lot of businesses. I see you on Shark Tank. Anything's good. I see you on Shark Tank too. I see you on Shark yeah, Tank. Yeah, it's amazing yes, how that works. Yeah. yeah. But the businesses you invest in are across the board. I, I yeah. can't honestly say, well, what is Mark like best? I could do that with all the other sharks. I cannot say that. I would have to probably, if I was guessing, I would say, I think he likes the people best. That's about it. And I'm not sure I'm right on that. And I've sat yeah. next to you for what, nine years now? Yeah, 10. You think I'd have the MO down, but what is it? So first you have to ask, why do I do Shark Tank? And I do Shark Tank to send a message that the American dream is alive and well, that you can be anywhere in the country and start a company and make it to the carpet in front of us and potentially get a deal or not even need to come and see us. And that's why I do the show. And, and that kind of drives what I invest in. You know, you guys might only do a deal because of the economic benefit. I might do a deal because of the social benefit as well, mm. or because I like the entrepreneur and, and you know I want to help that person. So it's not charity, but I'm arrogant enough to think I can make all those businesses work. Yes, yes. But um, I hear you don't. No, no, of course they don't. Yeah. <laughs> I tell everybody all mine are great. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then I hear you talk about, well, this one, my, yeah, no, you're the first one to say this one was shit. Yeah, this right. one I'll never get my money back. Shit. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and you know, some of the entrepreneurs are just idiots and you try your best and sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. Is there a telltale sign when you get involved in the deal? For those of people who don't know, you know, we make the deal on Shark Tank. It's a handshake deal. Then yep. we do the due diligence. Right. Let's say you go down the due diligence to the first week or two. Is there a telltale sign that, you know, A, you're either going to be used by the entrepreneur or B, these people are never going to make you money. And then what's your out on that? Like, what do you say? Hey, forget it. Let's close this deal down. Well, if they're lying about the numbers, obviously. A lot right of, away. But yeah. how about an honest mistake? A lot of the guys I work with make honest mistakes. Yeah. I mean, there's ones, well, you know, 
we didn't ask about the credit card debt. You know, it's a deal for $100,000 for 10%, million dollar valuation. You look at it and then they have 50,000 in sales. Okay, I expected that. That's what you said. But there's $100,000 in credit card Mm, debt. Pretty scary. Yeah, and it didn't come up at all. And it wasn't their fault that we didn't ask that question. It just didn't come up. It's like the sin of omission. Yeah. So you're out right away. You won't reconsider the deal. No, I'll still consider it. But then I just reevaluate the business. You know, I really try to stick to the terms. You know, you and I have done deals together. So Mm -hmm. we, we both try to stick to the terms that we agree to. But what really for me are turnoffs when immediately they try to raise their salaries. Or if they're trying to use that money immediately to put it in their pocket. Do you exclude that in your contract? I've always meant to ask. Ask you, yeah. like, you exclude it out of the contract. None of the money is used for salaries. Yeah, Bonuses, I mean, we try to like say that. that, right? But some of yeah. them will still come back. Yeah. And there's things that'll come back. So we try to be protective in the contract so that you can't just immediately raise money two days later. Because now the people that come on Shark Tank, they all talk to each other, mm-hmm. you know, so they know all the deals that have been done and all the legal issues and everything. If all of a sudden they have a lawyer that's done 30 Shark Tank deals. You really run into that? Yeah. Wow. I didn't yeah. know that. I've never run into that, actually. Yeah. So then I know they don't really want a deal, mm. you know, because they got a lawyer who typically didn't even Blows give a deal, deal. deal. And yeah. what about the guy that you feel like is using you? You sense it on the show or you don't, and then you're getting involved in the deal and you realize they're just using you. They don't want to close. Does that happen to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How yeah. many times a year, would you say? Kind of all the entrepreneurs. If I do 15, 16 deals in a year, probably five or six. Yeah. Well, I do a lot less deals than you because I have a hell of a lot less money, but I can tell you I get one a year. And for us, it's a game here. We bet on them. I wonder if he's the guy, you know? Yeah. No, for sure. Because you get the people that are there just for the commercial and they don't really want the deal. Or like I had two, at least two this year where- the deal didn't close for little things that they introduced and they were out there doing all the media. Oh yeah. Mark's a great investor and this and that. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't even talk to your ass. Right. That's it a red happened. flag. You yeah, get out of that thing. Sure. Right. Okay. So I've known you for a long time when people say, what's Mark Cuban like? The only people that people ask me about, I have to say, what's Kevin like? He comes yeah. before you because yep. everybody thinks he's a bastard. I'm sure right. you hear that too. The next question is what's Mark Cuban like? And I just have the same old answer. I go, he has an entire zest for living and what you see is what you get. I want to come up with something more exciting, but that's what comes <laughs> boring, out of my what mouth. Can I say? No, not boring at all, but that's all I can say. What you see is what you get. And he has such a zest for living. Well, Where does the zest that. for living come Probably from? Probably my dad. You know, my dad did upholstery on cars. He's just a good guy. And he died last year at 92 and lived every minute like he was 21. You know, my dad was in his 70s, 80s, you know, hitting 90 before he started to go downhill. And he was out drinking wine every single night. I wish I married him. Yeah, right. His name was Nordy. Old, old, old name. I would hear it all the time. Yeah, I was out drinking with your dad. I was out drinking with your dad. My dad's 85 years old. You know, my dad, 87 years old. We're taking him to Vegas and he's sitting at the blackjack table just staring at every girl that walks by. I mean, (laughs) was your mom okay with that? Yeah, my mom did care. I mean, it's like I told my wife, when I'm 92, I'm marrying a 29-year-old, whether you like it or not. (laughs) Your dad, when I was at your party, I'm sorry to keep returning to it, I heard as many people say that your dad was the favorite guy in his neighborhood. Yeah, So is that the sheer force of his personality, as you described? Yeah, he's a great guy. No doubt. Now, what about your youth? What are you doing? Did you have a facelift? Everybody on the set last year was what? saying, yeah, everybody on the set last year behind your back was saying, Mark had a facelift. Had I lived in no. Come on, come on, come on. No. Come clean with me. I'll let it out. I swear to God. No, the only thing I ever did like three seasons ago, um, someone convinced me to try Botox and it fucked up my smile big time. So mm. you, I can look at the pictures and tell which season it was. So no, yeah. no facelift. So, but what's the difference? But I lost a lot of weight. Is, you think that's yeah. really yeah. the thing? 
Yeah. yeah, I know your body is really trim and you're staying yeah. in shape, but that affects your face. Yeah, absolutely. And I went vegetarian too. I mean, literally after I went vegetarian, people were like, oh, your skin's so much better. I will say this. Back in my 20s, I dated a girl who worked for Neiman Marcus who was always big on, you wear sunglasses so you don't crinkle your eyes. Mm. And she gave me this moisturizer and she gave me these scrubs. I always started scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing my face. And if you saw my dad, I have good genetics. My dad at 92 looked a lot younger. I would always just take care of my skin. And then I started going to a dermatologist. Which real men generally don't do. Don't do, do yeah. yeah. And so she would do, oh, I call it pebbles, where they zap you with all these pebbles and all this stuff. Mm. Microdermabrasion. Yes, yes. Right, right. So I do that Makes stuff. Makes your face really red. Yeah, but, you know, for two hours. And wow, so, yeah, that's so painful. I would do that once every few months. And so I, I've been doing that for a while. It's helped. And then losing a weight, I just needed to lose weight. So mm -hmm. going vegetarian really helped there. And you know, picking up my workouts. Do you think you're vain? Would you apply Absolutely. that? You do? See, oh, I yeah, don't I see that. Yeah. yeah, I can't watch myself on Shark Tank. I literally have probably have missed a third or more of the episodes because I can't watch myself. Yeah, well, I watch on Shark Tank. You look good, but guess what I do? On my side of the page, I cover the screen. I don't look at myself because oh, I know I, I look it. terrible. Oh, I see, that's it. the way I think about it. Yeah. Too. I think you look great. Yeah, well, I yeah. think you look great. We'll see. Why don't we chop the thing in half, <laughs> right? Why not? What's with the t-shirts? Everybody always says, why does he always wear t-shirts? Why does Mark always wear t-shirts? Why wouldn't I? Well, why would you? I most men dress up. Dress, why would you I know, do that? Like, let me tell you. You could buy a really cool cut shirt that really shows your physique, stretches across the chest, a little tight on the upper arms, the kind of shirts that make a guy really look like a hunk. Yeah. No, I just like to be comfortable. Yeah. So you I never mean, dress up for anything? Shark Tank's pretty much it. You don't go to church, synagogue, nothing. Don't bother to dress up. Unless I have a really good reason to, no. And I think that's part of being a billionaire. Is that what it is? You don't have to. That was that way always. <laughs> always, okay. And your t-shirts aren't even fashion shirts. They're kind of just whatever's in the closet. I mean, that's okay, but it's not designer by any. I don't know if I have any designer t-shirts. You don't. I've I used to buy Versace. It. Like right after I sold my first company, I was like, Versace's cool, and I'd go down to Miami, <laughs> and I'd have these bizarro. There's a picture of me. I'll show you with Mark, the guy's the flight attendant. Where <laughs> I've got nothing but a vest on and these Versace jeans. And yeah, it was just. That was a phase when you were finding yourself. I think you found yourself now. I guess we're never going to see anything other than a cheap t-shirt on you, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I just won't wear a shirt at all. Yeah. If I get in good enough shape, that's what I'll do. Let me tell you what these sharks say behind your back that fascinates us because none of us are able to pull it out, which is your ability to answer a text the minute you get it. No matter emails. what. Emails. Texts phone calls. How is it that we don't hear from your assistant who's an assistant to an assistant and that you are on your game and right on everything? It just strikes us like, this is the weirdest thing. I'll yeah. be but three days behind in text, for example, and thinking I'm pretty good because I'm keeping up. But how do you do that? I'm the only one who sees them. Yeah. But and how I'm, do you do the quantity you get? Everybody wants to get at you. Going back in my business career, it's always been easier for me just to do it then to explain to somebody what I want and then for them to go look at it, then then bring it to me and say, do you want to take a look at this? Cause you might be interested in this. You know, it's just easier for me because I've always done email. I mean, I have emails going back 25 years and it's just like delete, 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 delete. You know, I can just read the first paragraph and know, as opposed to somebody not knowing, sitting down, reviewing everything, explaining it to them, you know, trying to adjust and figure out what to do next. It's just easier for me to do it. Well, I, can, I can kind of get in a business deal because it's more effective, it's faster, and you know, your best judgment is your own judgment. But I don't get it with all the stuff you do. I don't get why you don't have a barrier between you and the world. Why would I? Because it saves time. And I no, just don't it's the know. exact opposite. No, I think it does save time in the number of hours in the day so far as people getting at you. Don't you want a barrier between you and all the people who want to get no. at you? They're not all business deals. No. 
No. No, that's the fun part of life. Unbelievable. I think I'd be frightened to death if I did that for a day. No. It's, How about it's all the kooks that get at you? That makes it even more fun. Oh, my God. You're a nut shot. <laughs> what we're finding out today is Mark Cuban is not who I always thought he was. He is a nut job. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. These are not the right answers. So how do you <laughs> unplug, Mark? You're on the texting. You're on the email. You're constantly on, 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 on. How do you pull out the plug or is it not necessary? Is that a fallacy? Yeah, I don't need to unplug for the most part. I mean, I'll play with my kids, chase around my daughter, take them to school, pick them up, go play basketball, work out, just the normal stuff. You know, just it, constant flow. So there's not a category for your family, a category for no, your work, anything like no, that. No, it's just just try to do the right thing, try to connect with my family and be available to them, do fun stuff with them. And my kids' ages, it's more about them than their parents. I have to work harder to interject myself where I can and try to get their time and kidnap them to go to lunch. Or My son's at 10 is still fun. Like we'll go get a hotel room and eat ice cream and tell fart jokes all night, you know, for him <laughs> to stay up until two in the morning, right? And do stupid stuff. But yeah, with my 13 and 16 year old, it's like everything's a one word answer. So Alyssa, how tryouts? Because she has basketball tryouts. Okay. What'd you do? Play basketball. Did you make any shots? It's basketball. Did you miss any shots? We played basketball, dad. What do you think? Get off my back. <laughs> Not even. That's just her, you know? Whereas in my 16-year-old daughter is more hyper. Everything's like a, more of an or ordeal. So, But she's like, I'm, I'm studying, dad. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. And so, why'd you wake me up? God dang it. She thinks she's cool, right? So she'll say freaking all the time. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You let her get away with that? Yeah, I don't care, yeah. right? Or instead of giving me the finger, she'll give me a pinky, right? Ah. <laughs> you know, she's got her own little ways around it. And so, I and I just laugh at it. Yeah, they're good kids. And so it's fun to spend as much time as I can. One thing I didn't see in the children that I met the night of your party is no arrogance. I didn't see an ounce of arrogance. And you can usually see that from across the room yeah. with kids, I think. Don't you think? They have no reason to be arrogant. I mean, they're good kids. They really, really are. And I'm proud of them. You think they're going to talk about you the way you talk about your father? I hope so. I you really think they're going to have that similar relationship? They're going to call me stupid and silly and goofy and they're right. But that's hopefully what makes it fun. Okay. So let me ask you just one last question or maybe two, oh, two more last questions. I'm here for you, Barb, whatever you need. Okay. What are you working on now that no one knows about? You want to give me a secret so I can say, I know something about Mark that no one else knows what he's working on right now. So I'm working on a lot of healthcare stuff. Back because when, you think that's a growing industry? You no, came it's not into even a, a lucky break or what happened? No, there? more because I think what's happening with healthcare in this country is back-ass half-words, that nothing we're doing really works as well as it should. And it started when the Republicans were looking to do a repeal and replace and get rid of Obamacare, which has its own problems. But I just started saying, okay, if I was going to solve this as a business person, how would I approach it? Mm -hmm. So I just started working with some economists and working with a lot of healthcare people, both from the Republicans and Democrats side. And so we're making some progress. There's so a lot of good things. So you're doing as pro bono work. It's not with an eye toward investing No, no, in I don't care if I make any money at all. I stopped trying to just make as much money as I could a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I got enough money, right? It, it's more, I value my time a lot more than I do my next dollar. I just want to try to look back at some point and say, okay, I didn't fuck it up. Mm -hmm. And what do you think is wrong with the healthcare system? Nobody seemed to have solved that at all, really. Yeah, Everybody's I mean, critical. The fundamental problem is not everybody can get the care they need at the cost they can afford. I think people understand that concept. Concept, but right. nobody seems to agree on how to skin that cat. 
Yeah. And I, there's a lot of ideologies and I'm trying to balance the two together and bring mm -hmm. them together. But fundamentally, we have to make people healthier. If people are healthier, they consume less healthcare until they're older, right? And for long-term care, there's ways to approach that. The drug system is such a mess right now. And so I started a company there because there's so many inefficiencies. People will start companies in the pharmacy industry, and then the big guys will just buy them out, and they'll Ooh, just start exactly. companies knowing they're going to get bought out as opposed to trying to change the game. So we're starting companies that aren't looking to get bought, even though we've already had offers to sell the company. Well, and if then, you do it right, you're going to get bought. Yeah, I won't sell it. I'd rather turn them upside down and disrupt the industry. And then in terms of healthcare programs, I'm working with the RAND Corporation to model a hybrid of single payer. So if you make up to, let's just say, $40,000, mm -hmm. your healthcare should be free. If you make between forty to a million dollars a year, then you should pay some percentage of your income mm, um, in total. Fair. Yeah, and, Also and that's saleable, the, I would say. Yeah. And that's the whole point, right? So the average person is going to pay 8% of their income for healthcare, total, all in, no exceptions. Let's assume you come up with a premise that uh -huh. You really believe you can pull out, that right. it would really work without being a politician, without having that power behind you. Uh, what are you going to do with it? I've been everywhere with it. I've been in front of Republican and Democratic senators, candidates, you name it. I, I've sat in front of them. and To you know, make a suggestion in no, hopes just that they say, take it on their own? Well, no, because everybody knows it's a problem. Yes. And, and the good news is I don't give money to any political candidate so I can be independent. They know that there needs to be a solution. They're listening to me. So where I'm at right now is... I've learned from everybody. I've taken input over the last two and a half years from everybody with a different opinion and put it together into a plan. And now it's getting modeled by a bunch of economists at the Rand Corporation, who's like the biggest and of best. Of course, at doing this. Yeah, mm. exactly. If the numbers come out the way I think they will, then I'll have something to say. Look, here's what you think. Here's what the numbers say. Mm -hmm. Here's how you would approach it. Here's how I'd approach it. But it's it. still an option. You got to get them to listen to you unless you run for that's politics. That's my job. Yeah, that's my job then. To but you're get not going to run for anything. No, I mean, the family really? voted it down. Really? Yeah. 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 You know, when I I met Tiffany at your home. The first thing I said, is Mark going to run? And she said, no. And after that, everybody said, is Mark going to run? I said, no. No. <laughs> I believe Tiffany. Yeah, no, because yeah, we have family vote. And they said, no. You dodged a bullet, as you like yeah. to say to me on the Shark Tank. Said, you yes, dodged a bullet. You, always say, you dodged a bullet when yeah. I get past one, right? Okay, back to Shark Tank. What's your complaint with Robert? I see you... <laughs> It's the truth. You're in your seat. When Robert does something, you're itchy, you're turning oh, yeah, around, you're mumbling under your breath. What's oh. wrong with Robert? He's the nicest guy in the world. He is a nice guy. Yet I like Robert. he bugs you. What yeah, bugs he you annoys about me. Robert? Robert? Give me the list. There must be more than one thing. No, it's just everybody's got the type of person really that annoys them. And just Robert screaming at the top of his lungs all the time. Okay. Ah! <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh my God. That's so amazing. Okay. Well, that's cute. What's wrong with that? It was cute the first 327 times. Oh God. You just can't tolerate it. Okay. What's wrong with Lori? She I seems like to annoy you. No, and Lori doesn't annoy me except when she's going out. Look, we all annoy. Long-winded yeah. noise. You're mumbling my ear. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're all long-winded at some level when we it's go out. True. Right. Because that's the hardest part of the show is going out and not sounding stupid. Explain um, that to people listening. Why is figuring out why you're going to go out when you know why you want to go out? Yeah. Why is that the hardest part of show business on Shark Tank? Because you want to sound smart and you want to contribute something to the entrepreneur. You want to leave them with something of value that makes them a little bit smarter about their business. And you want to do it in a way that sounds 
sounds like you care. And sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. And you want to get it over with. If somebody walks on, I'm guessing you do the same thing that I know there's just no chance that I'm going to do it. Absolutely. You know when you're out right away. Yeah. And I'm already thinking, okay, what am I going to say? Yeah, me too. That's why I take endless notes. They're all outs. No, I can't use that one. That's been used. Not that one. Not that used. But it is so hard to come up with an out that hasn't been done 500 times before. So there's an old, old episode where the guy called me cubes, right? And I I remember that. Cubes, just for calling me cubes, I'm out. Yeah. It wasn't because he called me cubes. It was just an opportunity to go out. I believed you. I thought, what's he bothered about cubes? What's a big deal? Everybody calls me cubes. I don't care, but I needed a way to go out. Oh, that's so funny. Oh my God. Who's your favorite shark? You. Be truthful. I know it. No, now I'm going to ask you But I tell you, you all the time. Why do I tell you you're my favorite shark? Why, why? do I? T- what do I tell you that you're really, really good at better than all the other sharks? Uh, I know exactly what it is, but I want everybody to hear it. What is it? <laughs> I'm no fool. Barbara's got the best people skills. Yeah. Yeah. Her ability to recognize the good and bad in somebody and what they'll be like as an entrepreneur, what they'll be like as a person. Are they kind, compassionate, willing to work, had their backs up against the wall? Barbara picks up on that stuff in a minute. It's funny enough, Mark Cuban, but I think you pick up on that better than I do. No, there's no way. Because I look at the numbers, I I look at the business and I try to drill down. And then the arrogant part of me says, well, I can fix that. Where in your case, you'll look, that's a character flaw. You see it all the time. Mm. You know, this, 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 but your character flaw is this. And I just don't trust that. So I can't do business with you. Why didn't I see that? Well, what do you think on the opposite side of the equation when you're excited about an entrepreneur or a business partner or a life partner, what do you think is the one thing that you think makes a person a winner? And I hate these questions, one thing. I hate them myself. But I'll rephrase it. What do you think is one of the most important things that you use as your measuring stick to say that person's a winner, that person is worthwhile having them as a piece of my life, whatever piece that is. Are they learners? Are they workers? Will they admit they're wrong and adjust? You know, you've got to be very agile in business. You've got to be very adaptive in business. And it's not just all one way or the highway. And I think if somebody is willing to adjust, willing to work hard and is always learning and always selling, then good things will happen. I find on the flip side, if someone's always looking for an out, Mm -hmm. if only I raised more money, if only we marketed more, if only our advertising was better, if only I had the right person, if only this, if only that, and everything's an excuse, then it never works. Mm -hmm. And you consider that a character flaw. Yeah. It, it repeats itself again. Yeah, and again. I'm sure you see it too. Oh, it was the best idea. It was the best this, but we just didn't raise enough money. If only we had more money. You knew that going in. Lots of times someone will try to come up and say, well, well this isn't working. We need to hire the right person. Mm, and, all the time. And then they'll say, well, I think I've got the best marketing person in the world. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if that person was so great as a marketing person, they weren't leaving where they were before because they mm. wouldn't let them go or they'd be doing their own thing. But they'll try to hire that one person that saves the company. And when you do that, that typically means it's over. But my reaction to that is always like a sunken feeling of hopelessness. I don't know where that comes from. I feel hopeless about the business. I can't even quantify it. Yeah, when somebody just has an excuse for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel like you're going to hear the next one, the next one. Okay, so what about the character flaw in a friendship or what turns you on about a friend? Why do you choose other than the old friends who are with you since you were really a kid? Pay, I haven't gone looking for new friends. But people find you and you make yeah. friendships easily. So what is it that attracts you to someone saying, yeah, I'll let them be my friend or forget it. They're I mean, there, there's running buddies and there's friends. Becoming a friend happens over years. Yes, you it know, it, it's not something that, oh, oh, oh we're besties, right? Mm-hmm. You're my new BFF. Yeah. You know, it takes time. Whereas running buddies, oh yeah, let's go to the game. Let's go hang out and get a drink or let's all go out to dinner. Those people 
people come and go and it's, and it's no big deal. How many close friends would you consider you have? I have a lot of close friends, but... All old friends, by the way? Yeah. And, you know, from when I first moved to Dallas, they're still the same friends, people I've worked with, people I grew up with, people I went to college with. I don't know. There's, you know, probably... 15, 20. The greatness of my friends is we don't have to talk every day. And if we don't see each other for a year or two, like we just did a boys trip we hadn't done in 10 years. And we all got together and did stupid stuff in Vegas. Not as stupid as we used to do, but. um, (laughs) I'm sure. All those people you cited was all prior to college or during college, old friends before you were a billionaire. Do you have a hard time trusting people's motivations? No, because I don't need anything from them. Well said. Wow. Well, Mark Cuban, as usual, 150% Mark Cuban. Thanks, Bob. Thank you so much. That was fun. I love you more every time I see you. Whatever. And I guess that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Let us know your thoughts. Think I got it right? Think I got it wrong? Have an idea for a great guest? Just tweet me at Barbara Corcoran using the hashtag 888Barbara. And keep those questions coming in to the 888Barbara hotline. You can subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't be coy. Leave a review for the show at Apple Podcasts and keep the party going on. We'll see you next time. 888 Barber is produced by Sandy Smolens for Audiation. And Lila Mann is our executive producer. Audiation.